evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid. They have their fears, they have their doubts, they're afraid that the Jewish leaders are going to find them and then do what they did to Jesus. I mean, you can't really blame them, right? So they're fearful. Um, I've, I've been watching the Masters. I'm a, a sports buff, and I know many of you are too. And just watching the Masters and hearing these pros who, number one, you have to be one of the elites to even play in this tournament. Either you are a current elite or you are a former elite. They just don't let any John Smith play in the Masters. But to hear these guys talk, these names that you would all know, describe the fear and the anxiety and the doubts that they have when they walk up to the first tee that first day. I think it was Adam Scott who won a couple years ago said that every time before he goes out and he hits off the first tee, he's so nervous and he's just, he feels like he's, he's going to like throw up. He's so nervous. And, and these are accomplished pros feeling like that. And I think as Christians, again, we're baptized, we believe, but then we face, we face these things in life that give us so much doubt, so much angst, and we can be paralyzed by that, can't we? Just paralyzed by fear. But the best way to face any fear is not around it, but through it. And funny thing, Adam Scott and the other pros say, after the first tee, it becomes pretty much like any other golf tournament. But that first one, that first one. So is it faith or is it fear? What is it for you in this life? Is it trust or is it doubt? Is it belief or is it unbelief? What is it? That's really the heart of the matter in our text here in John chapter 20. So the disciples, they're behind the locked doors, they're fearful, they're afraid, and then guess who all of a sudden comes into their meeting place? It says all of a sudden Jesus appears. All right, his body is different now. He's the resurrected Christ. And he is using his glorified state, his godly powers, if you will, to literally walk through those doors and those walls and appear to them. Now, I'll tell you, if you've doubted Christ's resurrection and you see that, wow, you're going, man, am I seeing things? What is this? I mean, put yourself in their shoes, these disciples. So suddenly Christ is there. And what does he say? Because they've been so nervous, they've been so full of angst and doubt and fear. Right away he says, peace be with you. Peace. Oh, just to have peace. I have three kids, and my life is going a thousand and one different directions. Sometimes I just want peace. You ever like that? 
And sometimes they want peace from me. I know that, isn't that right? Just peace. I love that verse in the Bible. Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I'm God. Sometimes we just have to be still and focus our eyes on Christ, His Word, and His promises and realize He's risen. He's risen indeed, hallelujah. And that is how we get peace. And let me tell you, it's a lot easier to say peace than to actually believe it and live it. But do you know that most of the things in your life you can't control? Isn't that true? I mean, look at all of the things in life you really can't control. You, you know, when you're young and when you're, you're heading towards, uh, you know, the apex of life, everything's grand and great, you have this false notion that, really, you can have the world by the tail. And that, really, you can control everything. You're in charge of your life. But then God starts humbling you. <laughs> and you realize, maybe I don't know so much. And God tests your faith. And He is teaching you that you need Him. Don't put your faith and your belief in yourself, but put it in Him. And then the older you get, you start to realize there's something about just taking all of the stress and the anxiety and giving it to the one who cares. 1 Peter 5, 7, I love that verse. Our Lord says, hey, cast all your anxiety upon me because I care for you. Matthew 6 is the do not worry chapter in the Bible. That's God's way of saying, hey, in a nutshell, hey, I've got it. I've got it. You can have some peace now. I've got it under control. You may not have it under control, but I do. You can trust in me. I mean, let's really look at it. Last Sunday was fantastic with wonderful praise songs and worship, and it, it was a terrific day. But what if just 5% of Easter were true? And by the way, 100% of it's true. But what if just 5% of Easter were true? Shouldn't that change our outlook on life? If just 5% of it were true. Jesus conquered the grave. Is there anything too difficult for him? Is your job too difficult for him to figure out? Is your circumstance in your marriage too challenging for him? Is it too difficult? It's not. He's used to coming through for his people. Read the book of Joshua. We're going through that in my Bible class. Time and time again, God is telling Joshua, put your trust and your faith in me, don't doubt me, follow me, and you will be victorious. I'll take care of everything. And the question is, do we believe that? And do we live it? But all too often, we get like the disciples here, don't we? Oh, we want to see the proof. We're going back and forth between faith and doubt. We're like that. So Jesus says, peace be with you. And he's standing right there among them. And then he shows them the wounds in his hands and his side. And it says in verse 20 that they're filled 
with joy. This is Jesus' way of saying, yes, I am not some imposter. That was really Jesus who appeared here in front of the disciples. It was the resurrected Christ. Peter and John had already seen the empty tomb. Jesus had made an appearance to Mary Magdalene. So the disciples should, should have in faith and, and knowledge from Peter and John and Mary Magdalene that Jesus is alive, but yet Jesus feels compelled because of their lack of faith to actually show them his hands, his wounds, his side. You ever feel like that with God? You're like, God, if you love me, show me. <laughs> Do something about this, God, if you really love me. I know I've said things like that. God, if you're for me, please show it. Do something about this, God. And in those moments, we are being tested just like the disciples were being tested. Are we going to have faith or are we going to have fear? Are we going to have trust or are we going to have doubt? Are we going to have belief or unbelief? Are we going to be negative or are we going to be positive? What's it going to be? Our Lord is alive. Is anything too difficult for him? No. N O. And notice that Jesus, he has to say it again. Verse 21, again, he says, Peace be with you. Peace. We get so stressed out. If there was a doctorate for stress, all of us would have PhDs, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we? Do you ever feel like your blood pressure just going, you're like, oh, I feel the stress. Just picture Jesus saying this to the stressed out disciples, peace, I got it. I've faced far worse and more challenging situations for other people, so hey, I've got it. What a peace that is. And then Jesus says to these stressed out, doubtful disciples, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He's telling the disciples not to wallow in their fear and their doubts, but to actually go out and live in faith the realness of that moment, the resurrection of Christ, to live it out. Now, it's very challenging in our world today to live out the faith. Wouldn't you agree? It's very challenging. But God has made you a missionary through your baptism, through your calling as a Christian. You're a member of this church. If you're a member of this church, I know we have some guests. Perhaps one day God will lead you to be a member of this church. I like the word member, but I also like what the word member really means in the Christian context. A church member in the Christian context means that you're another M word. You're a missionary. See, when I hear the word member, sometimes I think of like 
I'm a member of a group or a club or there's like entitlement for this and that. And that's really not us. We are members who are missionaries. We're the sent ones. And who are we being sent to? We are being sent to the person in our family who doesn't know the Lord. We're being sent to the next door neighbor who wonders if his mom is going to be okay during surgery. We're being sent to that doctor or that nurse that we see that doesn't know the Lord and maybe just needs an extra prayer or a word of encouragement from you. We're the sent ones. We're the sent ones as a church, as an academy. God has given us so much. And what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? So notice this in verse 22. After Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Verse 22, it tells us he breathed on them and he gave them the Holy Spirit. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that third person of the Trinity that has given us faith. We are able to say that Jesus is Lord because of the power of the Holy Spirit right there. You have the Holy Spirit in you if you say Jesus is your Savior. Because the only way you can say that is if the Holy Spirit is in your heart. Now, a lot of people falsely say that with the Holy Spirit, you don't really have the Holy Spirit unless you speak in tongues or you do something miraculous. And, and that's not true. Those are certain gifts of the Holy Spirit. But having the Holy Spirit is something that every Christian who testifies that Jesus is Lord has. Now, knowing that, that you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, should that give you fear or faith? Should it give you trust or doubt? Should it give you belief or unbelief? I think we know the answer. And so when Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit upon them, in essence, he's giving them new life. It reminds me back in Genesis when God was doing his creation and he created Adam and he breathed the breath of life in Adam. So he's breathing this breath of spiritual life onto the disciples. And 50 days later at Pentecost, it would be an extra dose of the Holy Spirit that God would give them to start the first century church. And then Jesus says this in verse 23, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Jesus has the power to forgive. It is through His power and His words that a pastor is able to say these words and we're able to say it to one another, hey, I forgive you. But God is the one making it happen. It's through His authority that it happens. And I'll tell you what, that's one of the most challenging things in our Christian walk is to forgive. If you want your faith really tested, 
Think about who you need to forgive. That is tough. Because for forgiveness to take place, it means that one, at least one person, God willing, two people, have to eat some humble pie. That's what it means. There are some of us that never want to say, I'm sorry. There are some of us who never want to say, you know what, I was wrong. But yet God has called us to do that. And look at Jesus' forgiveness. Did we deserve his forgiveness? We were the ones who wronged him. And yet he was able to say on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If you want to bring yourself stress and probably even ulcers, keep unforgiveness right there. And I tell you, that's not a good thing. God wants us to forgive. And you can say, why? They don't deserve it. Well, you know what? Did we deserve it? No. We are called to forgive. We're not called to question, oh, does this person deserve it? Oh, should I do it? We need to do it. It's freeing and it's biblical. Later on in verse 24, uh, we get into Thomas here. Uh, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. Why was he nicknamed the twin? There's a lot of speculation about that. I've read things like he looked very similar to Jesus. We don't really know. Uh, another biblical name for the twin, which Thomas is also called, is Didymus, which means the twin. And of course, Thomas right here, he is told that they have seen the Lord, right? And what does Thomas do? We call him Doubting Thomas, right? He says, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in the hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. And can't you picture Thomas like using a lot of hyperbole here and saying, I'm not going to believe it. That's how I picture this scene. I'm not going to believe it unless I see it and I touch it, I'm not going to believe it, man. That's the Pastor Lane version of this translation, yeah. I'm not going to believe it. But hey, we've been there. We've been just like Thomas. I thank the Lord for Thomas. Yeah, was he mistaken here? Was he wrong? Yes. But Thomas, he speaks for all of the doubters of today. Thomas is the big skeptic here, and he has problem not with just doubt, but with belief with faith. For those who doubt the resurrection of Jesus Christ today, for those who doubt that Jesus was really Lord, for those who doubt that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, Thomas speaks and says to the doubters of today, he says he really did rise. Thomas actually sees the wounds, he touches them, and he believes. And then Jesus was standing there amongst them eight days later. So another week later, verse 26. And Jesus says again, peace be with you. 
And then he says to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer, but believe. And then Thomas says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. I think a lot of us need to say those words. My Lord and my God, I need you. When was the last time you really said those words in prayer? My Lord, my God, I need you. I don't have the answers, but I know I need you. Say those words, pray those words, and talk about peace. You'll receive it. Just saying those words, my Lord, my God, those words that Thomas says right here, that's the peace formula right there. My Lord, my God. And then Jesus says, you believe, verse 29, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. You know, we can't see and we don't see the physical Jesus Christ right here. Now, he could do that if he wanted to. We can't physically see him, but yet we can see what he's done in our lives, can't we? Do you see what he's done in your life? I, I mean, you maybe didn't see a bearded uh, figure right next to you, you know, with the flowing robe, but yet you can say, yeah, I've seen Jesus because, yeah, he's the reason we had a child. He's the reason my child's life was spared. He's the reason I have the gift of grandchildren. He's the reason I have this income that I never thought I'd get. Yeah, you may not be able to see Jesus, but you do see the effects of him in your life. Face it, you do. Because you have faith. And in the words of Romans 8, you know that he is for you, and he's not against you. He loves you. He loves you. He went to the cross for you. He rose to life for you. And so he says, peace. Peace. To close this up, verse 30 and following, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. Verse 31, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Jesus did many other miracles. We just know what the Bible records. We have read in the scriptures how Jesus made the lame walk and the blind see, how he took away leprosy and made people's skin healthy and whole once again. And the biggest miracle of all, we see that Jesus rose to life. What a miracle. Of course, the precursor to that, he had raised Lazarus to life. And he had two other raising to life events too prior to that. Jesus rose to life. He is the miracle man. Do you believe in miracles today? I do. 
They happen because nothing is too difficult for God. Do you have faith in that? Do you have trust in that? Do you have belief in that?